Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 today. You know, before I get started, we're going to pray again, but um, I don't know if you're like me, you're kind of, maybe if you're an OCD person, things that are out of place really annoy me, they kind of bother me and stuff, and uh, as Gary was singing, I found myself not paying attention to what he was singing, uh, because yesterday we had our, our work day, and somebody, probably Ron Woodcraft, moved the TV and didn't put it back where it's supposed to be and it's not at a 90 degree angle. And then one of the band members had the audacity to touch those lights that are supposed to be on the cross and the light is not shining on the cross, it's shining on the back of it. And I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about that light that's out above Glenn's head and wondering if Glenn does that on purpose or not. And there's all these things going on in my mind and everything and I'm realizing you're supposed to be worshiping, not organizing the TVs by 90 degree angles. Can I say this? This is why church, this is why Jesus has lost some of his zeal. This is why the Holy Spirit doesn't move in your life. Because there's an issue with you and another brother in Christ. Another sister in Christ. And you're f concentrating on something that you're not supposed to be. We're going to see today that you can't worship God. Think about that. You can't worship God. If you've got a conflict with another brother in Christ, that includes your marriage, by the way. That includes your ex-mother-in-law, by the way. This is a serious subject today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, no one in this room, including myself, is immune from this. Father, today, help us to not imagine the other person to not see that this is something someone else needs. Well, Lord, help us today to let your Holy Spirit move and work in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Philippians chapter 2, as we preach on the subject of conflict with the other guy. A man is rescued after years on a desert island. He stands on the deck of a rescuing vessel. The captain says to him, I thought you were stranded alone. How come I see three huts on the beach? Well, replies the man, that's the one right there. That was my house. That's where I lived in. And he said, that right there, that other building, that's where I go to church. And that's where I would worship the Lord. But there's three of them. What was the third one? Asked the skipper. Oh, that church? That's the church I used to go to till I got into a fight with one of the members. You know what, if you're saved, it's one of the saddest things of the sea. A brother and sister in such great conflict, they can't even worship together. You see, we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe that's the problem. You see, we have such a dysfunctional family and a home situation going on in our outside life that when we come into church, and this is also supposed to be a home, we bring those same characteristics of dysfunction, of violence, of attitude, of hate towards each other. We apply the same thinking from our home life that we do to our church life. See, conflict with a Christian can happen. The results, though, the results can be good. The results can honor Christ. But as we start today, our thought is this. A Christian cannot stay in conflict with another believer. That's the important word I put in there. Cannot stay in conflict. You notice I did not say conflict never existed. There's never going to be a time when you don't have conflict. with. That's not what I said at all. 
And you'll also notice that I said that Christians don't disagree with each other. Christians can disagree with each other. Say amen. You can disagree with me. And when you get to heaven, God will tell you you're wrong. But let me give you this next thought. Conflict is not disagreement, but a continual disunity. The Holy Spirit, when he is present, brings unity. As you go through the book of Acts and you see the, the, the church working powerfully and, and amazingly, it is not that they had a great speakers or fantastic buildings or resources or the internet. The fact that they work together is the unity they had in Christ. And so when two believers in Jesus Christ come into a place of disunity, of constant quarreling, constant bickering, that is not a place where the Holy Spirit is going to work. We can have disagreement. We can agree to disagree on things. But when the Holy Spirit is working, there is not a continual spirit of disagreement that exists. You see, conflict is, let me just define our terms as we begin. Conflict, it's when anger and resentment stay with me, and this is the type of things that happen. When I refuse to speak to someone, I'm not talking to them. Do you know I've had people snub me in church? You know what I usually think? I've been snubbed by better than you. And people refuse to shake my hand. Here, other places, repeat it. Just nobody talks to me. Really? Conflict is when I can't pray for someone. Or let me, maybe I should clarify. I can't pray for good things for that person. You're real good at praying God's wrath and judgment down, right? Lord, let them, let them, you know, let them look like a frog and uh, let their house burn down and let everything they touch become a disaster. We can pray those. You love David's prayers, right? Oh, Father, the wrath of God. Come. We love those King James prayers from Psalms, right, of David. I'm talking about praying for them to be blessed. God, help them to have a good day. God, I found out there was something difficult going on in their life. Lord, heal that relationship, heal that situation. I can't pray that for that person. Conflict is when I'm happy, bad things happen to someone else. You hear out you, that, that enemy, that person, you find out that their marriage is in trouble. You find out that they're going through a financial problem. You find out that their son is on drugs. You find out something, and instead of it breaking your heart that another brother and sister in Christ is going through trauma and tragedy, there's a part of you that thinks they get what they deserve. Finally, God is happy. This is conflict. This can't happen in God's family. You know what conflict is not, though? Let me just clarify this. Conflict is not limiting evil people. There are people in your life that are evil. Uh, there are people in your life that have, may have physically or sexually abused someone. You say, Pastor Steve, should you forgive them? Yes, you forgive, but you do not restore that person back into your life so that they can do that again. You have people in your life that are constantly being evil, constantly doing things on purpose to damage you, to hurt you. You know what you should do? Limit their access to your life. That is okay. You must forgive them. Say amen. But restoration back to that place where they can hurt you again is not something you have to do. So conflict does not include e limiting evil. It also does include opposite personalities. You know, some personalities are oil and water, right? And it, uh, it's just not my type of person. You know, he, 
he tells jokes I don't really like, or she's just so negative, or and her life is always in chaos, and that's just, I'm just not that type of person. Here's a crazy thing that maybe you don't understand. It's okay not to like Christians. It's okay not to like, but you have to love Christians. Every person in here, you have a different type of personality, and you're, you'll connect differently with other people. Don't feel bad if somebody comes in here and you're like, well, I mean, I don't dislike them, but I really don't want to sit next to them at the fellowship. You know, it's just not my cup of tea. It's okay to have a different personality. Say amen. See, but when all these two things, it's okay, because that's really not conflict. Conflict is when you just can't stand somebody because of some stupid issue, because of some stupid problem, and you can't pray for them, and you don't even want to talk to them. Now, there's a warning that comes with this message today as I get started. There's two warnings. First, conflict limits your relationship with God. Listen to me. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And thou rememberst that thy brother hath ought against thee, that you're in conflict? Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way before thy reconciled before God, and come and offer thy gift. Jesus said you come to God and you're going to worship him, but you've got this big problem with another brother and sister in Christ. Leave it. Go get that relationship taken care of the best you can. Listen, you can apologize to somebody. If somebody turns their back and says you and says, I never want to talk to you again, you did your part. You made every attempt to try to reconcile. You began praying that God would do this. I'm talking about, that's not what I'm talking about. There's somebody in your life today you refuse to speak to, and they're a Christian. If you are in that situation, God is not accepting your worship today. God is not hearing your prayers. Last week we talked about that Peter said this to husbands. If you and your wife, if you're not treating your wife right, God isn't listening to your prayers. God isn't blessing you. You are living in a dangerous place. To want to live somewhere where God won't accept my worship, where God's not hearing my prayers, where the blessings of God are not impacting me, why would you want to live in such a dangerous land? And secondly, the second warning is this. Not caring is not a sign of superiority. Not caring is not a sign of superiority. There's this old parable about a donkey who falls in a hole, right? And the farmer says, well, it's an old donkey, and uh, it might as well just kill it and everything. So the farmer starts shoveling dirt. The farmer starts shoveling dirt on top of the donkey. And he's just going to kill the donkey in the hole. Well, the donkey, the, the dirt falls on him. The donkey shakes the dirt off and then steps up on the dirt. Farmer throws some more, and the donkey shakes it off, steps up on the dirt, throws some more, and the donkey's... Till finally, the, the farmer throws enough dirt on it, the donkey's high enough up where he can just step out, of the, step out of the hole. I've always assumed that the donkey then kicks the farmer, but... <laughs> See, that is a great approach to problems, right? You know, it's some, it's some good advice. Don't let things keep you down. Shake it off and everything. And, and, and you know, the, the rocks people throw at you, use it to build a house. You've heard that before type of stuff. I mean, there's some good advice on that regard. But there's this horrible advice when it comes to conflict with a Christian. Just shake it off. Yeah, there's five people I don't talk to in church. There's three people 
on the internet that are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm you know, friends with them on Facebook. I've got a cousin I don't talk to and everything. We're saved. Both of us are saved. And I, don't just, I just shake it off and everything else. Who cares, right? That's not a sign of superiority. But I suggest to you it's a sign of sin. God only works in unity. How should I respond? Again, in Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, come back twice as hard. They put one of ours in the hospital, we put one of theirs in the morgue. That's not what Jesus said here. That you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him other thee also. And if any man sue thee at law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Jesus says, listen, and the smiting there, we often sometimes think of it as a fist. It's not. It's an open palm. It's an insult that comes across somebody's face. And what are you supposed to do when they do that? You turn the other cheek. You forgive them. You move forward. It's not a sign of superiority to go, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care. That's a sign. That's what a child does. Children do things like that, not children of God. Amen? Can I say this to you? I'm not immune from this. I'm not immune from having issues with people and conflict with people. I was telling Gary last night when we were driving, I had an issue with somebody. And do you know what I did? I just went and knocked on their door. I said, somebody told me you had a problem with me. I said, well, here I am, face to face. What do you want to say? No, no, I don't know who told you that. That's not what they said. You know, sometimes as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to confront somebody and just simply say, I don't know what this problem is. I don't know why this is going on. I don't know why we can't resolve this. What's the issue? Let's take care of this. Sometimes you need to do that. But you know, sometimes they just won't have anything to do with you. So what do you do? You turn the other cheek and you let God take care of it. You see, the book of Philippians, we're doing our Wednesday night study we were doing in the summer. It's a book of joy. But Paul, in the midst of this amazing book of joy, has to deal with an ugly situation. You see, in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to almost, I want to say bet, because I shouldn't say that, right? But I'm almost going to guarantee that if you've been in church your entire life, you've never heard anyone preach on Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3. Because in the midst of this amazing book where Paul talks about, I can do all things through Christ, I'm confident. He talks about everything, about pure minds in Philippians 1. I mean, it's just this amazing book. But he comes here in chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, he has to deal with an ugly situation. And the ugly situation that the Apostle Paul must stop this amazing book, this amazing letter of joy and everything that God can do in your life, he has to stop it to address two believers in the church. Apparently, two women have come in conflict in the church. And this conflict has risen to maybe there's, some speculate there's sides. I'm on Sister Jan's side. I'm on Sister Margaret's side. And their sides have risen. And a conflict, a rift has developed in the church because of two people. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. Very easy to make jokes here about ladies in conflict, isn't it, ladies? It would be very easy but you know what? It could very well just have been two men, couldn't it have been, ladies? It could very well have been a lady and a man, couldn't it have been? 
It could very well have been a married couple. It could very well have been a pastor and a deacon. It could very well have been a Sunday school teacher and a Christian who's been saved for 80 years. Say, Pastor Steve, Christians who are saved for 80 years don't act that way. Sometimes they're the worst. Anyways, ladies, this is not a comment about women here. What this is, is a comment about conflict that has taken place. And it's dissolving the unity of a church. And it's two Christians who are part of the same family of God who can't get along with each other to the point that they can't even worship together. You see, the, the, the answer for all of these that we've talked about, and let me just throw it at you again. Our series theme for this has been the answer for conflict is Jesus. You're going to see this conflict. As we talked the first time, we talked about racial conflict. The racial conflict in America, the racial conflict in the world is Jesus. If people just knew Jesus, and if people who knew Jesus acted like Jesus, they wouldn't care about silly things like the color of people's skin. Amen? Listen, you better get to learn to like people that aren't white because there's going to be a lot of them in heaven. And that guy who went over there in Philadelphia and started shooting at Jewish peoples, God have mercy on him when, if he's a believer and gets to heaven and finds out his Savior's a Jew. Never understood Christians are like, I don't really like Jewish people. Really? Who is Jesus? I mean, there's some lot of good proof that Jesus might have been Irish. I mean, he hung out with a bunch of dudes all the time. He thought his mom was a perpetual virgin. It's an Irish joke. If you're not Irish, you don't get it, but that's okay. This is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the conflict in your marriage. You see, in almost every conflict, here's, here's what's really the problem. Here's the problem, all right? One of you isn't saved. Or one of you is involved in sin. Or one of you is just a very immature believer who has never made Jesus the Lord of their life. You see, the problem with perpetual conflict, it's not Jesus. It's a lack of Jesus. And if there's a lack of Jesus, it's either because you don't know Jesus. Okay, that, that annoys me. I'm sorry. I just, how are we going to have a cross at the center of our church and the light's not on it? There you go. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. There you go. There you go. Thank you, Ron. Yes. Ron must be German. I don't know. Woodcraft, right? That sounds like woodcraft. Anyways, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I'm a little. I'll edit that out. Look. The conflict, the problem is there's not enough Jesus. So here's the story. Philippians chapter 3, just two obscure verses. Nobody ever makes these verses their, their life verses, right? You never see anybody write, Philippians 2, verse 2 through 3. Nobody does this. Very rarely, I'm, I'm, I'm almost going to guarantee no one's ever had this preached to them. In verse 2 it says this, I beseech Judas and beseech Syntetic. Boy, don't you wish people just had names like, let's just say Eunice and Cecily, okay, or something like that. But the word beseech means this. It means to admonish. 
but it also means to beg. It is something that a, like a mother might do to you, beg you to act right, to behave, to do the right thing, and as she's doing that, trying to convict you and trying to get you to act differently, Paul directly names these ladies. How would you like to be these ladies in heaven? You got into the Bible, but for all the wrong reasons. Only time they're used in the Bible, this word beseech is used. Paul's basically telling them, you had one job. You had one responsibility. Love your brother and sister in Christ. And you didn't even do that. He calls them out in verse 2. And that they be of the same mind. Look at this. You said, so some of you thought, when I said the problem is Jesus or lack of Jesus, you probably thought, well, that's not the case for my situation. Uh, pastor's over exact. This is church, so you have to make everything about Jesus and stuff. You're probably thinking that. But look at the last part of here. That they be in the same mind in the what? Lord. That they'd have the same mind as Christ. That they'd have unity in Christ. Paul is telling them, this is your problem. Sisters, I love you, but this is your problem. Your problem is one of you or both of you has a Jesus problem. Verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those. The church works in unity. And he tells other believers in Christ, you know what you need to do? You need to stop picking sides. You need to stop deciding who's right and wrong. And you need to bring these two people back together again. So that somehow God can work in them. What is your job? What is your ministry? You know, there's a lot of great ministries. You want a great ministry? Show up on Sunday night. You say, what's my ministry? I show up on Sunday night and I encourage the pastor. That's a great ministry, by the way. It's really encouraging on Sunday night when we have a full house. It is really nice. I'm not preaching tonight, but, you know. Look, there's a list in our month. I'm just going to mention this one more time. Out there are display of all of the different jobs and different things that we need and stuff like that. Uh, we need to have a men's ministry leader, um, our children's soccer camp. It's very easy, just some organizational skills. You don't have to play soccer. We have people who come in, professionals that do the soccer. Uh, we've done car shows, somebody to run that. Someone had a great idea for a food truck because this is big with this next generation. I said, hey, how about you? Well, I, I don't have time. Our Super Bowl party, as of this moment right now, we won't be having it because nobody signed up for it. We're not just not, you know, if nobody wants to lead it, then uh, we won't do it. I mean, we all know the Lions aren't going to be in it, so what's the point? But um, Father's Day brunch, our college and young adult ministry, you don't even have to teach them. I got people that are teaching. I just need somebody that will love these kids and help some of them. You know, some of these kids are 28 years old and they've never had a functional family. Uh, our Sunday night Southern Gospel, we did that. Somebody to organize it. Our Tigers game, I think I have somebody for that. Our church security. The news, look what's going on. DVD ministry, outside Christmas lights. Someone came to me last year. Why didn't we put up Christmas lights? Well, here's your chance. You know who you are. I'm going to mention your name next week. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm kidding. Maybe Gary. Anyway. It wasn't Gary, by the way. You know what? There's a lot of different ministries you can have, you can be part of. You say, well, I physically can't. There's some limitations I have. Okay. You know what you can be? 
You can be Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Do you know it's an amazing thing to be a peacemaker? You don't have to have good knees. You don't have to have a good back. You, know, you, you can have arthritis and still be a peacemaker. You, cannot, you don't have to be wealthy to be a peacemaker. You don't have to have overwhelming talent. You don't have to get up in front of a crowd and speak. You don't have to have a good voice. You don't have to have anything. You don't even have to show up to church on time, half of you. To be a peacemaker, all you have to do is bring peace. Paul begs these people here in verse 3. Some of you others that are part of this church, become peacemakers with these two. And here's the thing about these women. These women are not bad. These are not bad. Look what Paul says about them in verse 3. Women which labored with me in the gospel. Ladies, your role with Jesus is huge. Nothing has increased the value or raised women up more than Jesus. In a time and a culture that Jesus appeared to, women were less than cattle. In a time and a culture Jesus appeared to, women, especially people who got involved in sin or had moral issues and everything else, they were second-class people who had to take their little scarlet letters and live over here on the side, and they weren't good enough for these people. And yet that's who Jesus goes to, isn't it? There's a bunch of people who follow Jesus, and a lot of them are prostitutes. The woman at the well loved Jesus. Nobody lifts women up more than Jesus. And nobody brings women down more than the world. And Jesus says to them, listen, this is what Paul talking to them, you labored with me in the gospel. This is not a gender issue. This isn't even a good person issue. These are probably good ladies. This, this, who knows what the issue is? But Paul says this, it has to stop. In verse 3, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers whose names Look at this. You say, well, they're obviously not all saved, Pastor. Well, no. Whose names are in the book of life. These are two believers. And he, Paul begs other groups of believers, your number one job is to be a peacemaker, to help these people heal. You know what? As a church, sometimes we don't do that very well. Eh, we don't want to get personal. Well, it's a problem. Honestly, uh, Dan... They, they say that the, the most dangerous thing for a police officer is a domestic dispute, right? Because you go in there to help her, and as soon as you stop help, her, helping her, like restraining him, she hits you. And honestly, as a church, sometimes it's just easier to let this thing ride out and hope one of them goes to the Methodist church. <laughs> right? It is. Uh, I've tried it. Sometimes I've been successful or God's been successful. And sometimes I've tried helping people who just can't stand another Christian in church and just try to connect this and bring it back together. And it's just, and I just walk away going, I don't know. I've brought other people into the, the mix. I've brought, other, I've brought some of our deacons sometimes into things. I said, I just need your help with this because I obviously... It's, it's not working. I cannot fix this or help this. Maybe that's the problem. I'm trying to fix it, right? These are good people. And they need to be addressed. And they need help. You want to make your ministry? Just be a peacemaker. 
So how would that look? You know what it looks? It looks like taking somebody to lunch and just letting them vent and listening to them. You don't have to tell them they're wrong. You don't have to rebuke them. Just listening to them and say, you know, just you know, simple reply. Well, what do you think Jesus would want you to do about this? You know, how do you think Jesus would handle this situation? What do you think brownies and glorifies God the most in this situation? What can I do to help you with? If you ever need problems, you just call them. That's a peacemaker. Listen, let me just, two things about Paul's rebuke here. Paul's rebuke is not a theological problem. Paul would have dealt with that. The Apostle Paul had no problems in bringing people down on their theology and correcting them. This isn't a theological problem. You know what? The issue doesn't even matter what it is. This is a people problem. And secondly, it's not a blame issue. The fault doesn't matter. Do you notice that Paul says, you know, and I've heard, you know, that she's right and she's wrong. So let's make sure she gets punished and has to come before the church. And He doesn't say any of that. Paul said, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It's not a theological problem, so I don't have to address it specifically. But what he does say is, you are a Christian and you are a Christian. It's time both of you started acting like it and it's time the church helped you. Let me just clarify, just in so we don't are all on the same page. A Christian is this. Someone who has accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Someone who realizes that they were born in sin, separated from God, and God sent Jesus to live 33 sinless years on the earth and died on a cruel Roman cross in place of my sin, and I, in childlike faith, called on God to save me. That is what a Christian is. That's the only way to become a Christian. But listen, those of us who are, aren't you glad you don't have to work your way to heaven? Say amen. amen. Aren't you glad for grace? Say amen. Aren't you glad that salvation's only through faith in Jesus? Say amen. amen. But the problem is, some of you have taken that as a license, Paul says, and every time you'll see something, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, it doesn't matter what I do, God can't take away my salvation, right? Eternal security, right. Okay, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing God can do, I'm going to heaven, so why does any of this else matter? If you truly know Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to want to make a change. We talked last week on Sunday night about repentance. We have all sorts of celebration services in churches, and that's okay. Sometimes it's time to celebrate. But when is the last time you've ever been to a repentance service? Today is our repentance service. Bring Ashcloth and Ash because you're going to feel bad. You never see anything like this. But can I just say this to you politely, kindly, lovingly, whichever way you need it, you need to repent if that is your mentality. Whether it's involvement in some sort of perverse sexual issue, whether it's a drug and alcohol problem, or whether it's simply that you refuse to forgive another believer in Jesus Christ. Sir, ma'am, may I lovingly encourage you with the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, with the authority of God's word, would you please repent? You don't get on TBN preaching that way. Listen, if you need more help on the registration desk, I found this really great article about conflict with the Christians. John Piper's group wrote it, and it's really good. Feel free to pick one up. I left a couple copies, stapled them together. Feel free to grab it, maybe look at it. But I'm gonna give you three things as we close. When I am in conflict, when I am in conflict, number one, live without options other than Jesus. Live without options other than Jesus. Um, I have no options, just Jesus in my life. 
in our Wednesday night study in our series, Not a Fan, we talked about a group of uh, vegans. You know what a vegan is, right? The worst person you want to sit next to on a flight. That's what a vegan is. Anytime you meet a vegetarian or whatever people, just always remind them one simple thing. You can always bust their bubble. You can just watch them go, and just tell them, you know, Hitler was a vegetarian. Just talk, anyway. But we talked about, a, they were talked about a group of vegans. And this is just next young group of vegans and vegetarians and stuff. And um, they say that they are vegans and vegetarians unless they really want to eat meat. Unless there's something around they really want to eat. And they call themselves, or maybe it's a derogatory term, you can look it up, it's actually in the dictionary. They call themselves flexigans. Flexigans. Meaning, we're vegans, we're vegetarians with options. That's exactly what they say. I mean, I, I'm a vegetarian. I like putting that on Facebook. I like confronting other people, right? I'm a vegetarian. You eat meat? Ooh, how disgusting. I'm better than you. There's steak? Ooh, well done, please. That's what a flexitarian is. Somebody who is vegan, unless there's a better option available. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are supposed to be a follower. That's a very popular term lately. You are supposed to be a follower. Can, you tell you, can I tell you this? Again, you feel free. You don't have to change your Facebook status. I never call myself a follower in Jesus Christ. You don't. I don't. You want to know why? Because followers have options. Followers can choose not to follow anymore. Followers can say, well, maybe a little here, maybe a little there. I'll take a little Jesus for this. I'll take Jesus to get me out of the hospital and everything else. But these issues, I'm going to stay away. I, that's what I think of when I think of a follower. Paul doesn't call himself a follower. Paul calls himself a slave. He says, I'm a bond servant to Jesus. I'm not a follower. I'm a slave to Jesus. You know why I like slave better? Because slaves have no options. Jesus says, I have to forgive you. Well, let me debate it. Let me think about it. Let me talk to a counselor. Let me read a book by Oprah's book club. Let me recommend something differently. Let me, just, let me find an excuse. No, Jesus says I have to forgive you. You know what I have to do as a slave? I have to forgive you. Stop living with other options than Jesus. Number two, love without shame. Love without shame. Do you want to explain how you've acted? to those that are following you? I, I've told this to men before who are going through marriage problems and their wife says they want to divorce them or things. And I always tell them this, look, right now you're at point A. In the future, you're going to be at point B. I don't know what point B is going to be. I hope it's your family gets back together and your marriage is restored. But at point B might be that you're, you're divorced and your kids are living in another state or anything else. But when you get to point B, you want to turn around and look back and say, and tell your family, tell your mother, tell your church members, tell everybody who knows you, this is what I did and I'm not ashamed of it. I did everything I could to keep from getting here. Whatever point B is in your life, can you look back and say, I've done everything I can to not be here. I am not embarrassed to tell anybody how my life is done or the decisions I've made. Can you love somebody without shame? This is going to sound weird to some of you. you you'll know exactly, but um, my son's 19, and we were watching something, and uh, do you remember Jared from the Subway commercials? My son had no idea who he was. And I said, oh, and I, I, I went on YouTube, and I started showing the commercials. His name is Jared. My son was like, that was a commercial? I'm like, yeah, in the 90s, we thought a lot of things were good that weren't. But anyway, 
and, and I had to, you know what, then I had to explain to him, he was, I had to explain to him where he's at now. I had to tell him the whole story, and I went on Wikipedia, and I said, see, this is what happened. He's serving this many years and everything else, and, every, and he was like, when his eyes were open, he, kind of, he literally said, I don't want to eat at Subway anymore. I said, well, I don't know if it's Subway's fault or not, but can you love without shame? Meaning those that are following, sir, if your grandkids knew how you treated your other brother and sister in Christ, would you be proud? Ma'am, is this how you want your babies to behave? Is this how you want your grandkids to behave? If they knew exactly how you talked to that person or treated that other person, would they be proud of you or would they hang their head in shame that they have the same name as you? Number three, learn others have value. You're not the only important person in the world. It's an important thing to learn. Um, when we were uh, in, in uh, Oregon on the Washington River driving into Portland, they have this water fountain fall, and I, I forgot the name of it, and, uh, but it gave me a great visual illustration about being selfish and self-centered. Uh, that's a, a, a picture of it right there, and it's just really cool, and it's huge, and it, the picture really doesn't do it justice, but it's got a place where you can... Uh, you actually get to walk under the freeway and under a train. I thought that was the best part, walking under a freeway. I was like, I'm underneath the freeway, a truck's going over me. I thought that was cool. My wife's like, we drove 3,000 miles not for you to stand under a road, let's go. But, uh, and so you can do it. And so but there's a little real nice area where you can stand there. And so what everybody does, go to the next one. Everybody stands there and takes pictures. All right, like so me and my wife did. Oh, little selfies, a whole bunch of pictures and stuff like this. Well, while people were trying to take pictures, this one guy was ruining, the sh this one girl was ruining the shot for everyone. Go to the next one. There she is, and her little friend, I think who just wants to date her, uh, was taking photos of her. And then what the funny part is, he would take these photos of her, and she thought she was just beautiful. She wasn't. But she thought she was just amazing. And he would take these photos of her, and he'd go to the next one, and he would run over and let her see them. Obviously, these are going on Instagram or Twitter or whatever she does or Pinterest. And, she would, and they probably did this for 20 minutes. I stopped watching the water because you know what the water did? It fell. You know what it's doing today? It's falling. That's all it does. And I just watched them, and I started taking pictures of them interacting. And, she was, and the problem is right there, there was a line of people who wanted to take a picture. She didn't care. In fact, her little friend, go to the next one. He got in on it, and you can see him standing there, and she's taking his picture and trying to get the right filter on it and all this other stuff. In the midst of all these people, trying, look, everybody's trying to get out of their way. They're being, they're being a nuisance, and yet they could care less. They don't care that they're ruining anybody else's trip. They don't care that they're in the way that they're stopping anyone else from taking a photo. They only care about themselves. You know what they are? They are selfish and self-centered. And boy, isn't it easy to point, and point fingers at this next generation and say that about them. All, all, while you carry a grudge and don't give it up because you are selfish and self-centered. You know what you look like to God? That's what you look like to God. You look silly, you look selfish, you look self-centered, you look ridiculous, and you're hurting other people. In the midst of chaos and violence, though, in the midst of chaos and violence, there's always somebody who keeps their head. There's always somebody who works to help other people. I want to show you this video here in a second. 
His name is uh, Sir Nicholas George Winton. And uh, not very well known outside of England. Lived to be over 100 years old. What he's famous for is in the midst of World War II when Hitler was coming in and and, uh, going into Czechoslovakia, he helped hundreds of little boys and girls, little Jewish boys and girls, get out of Czechoslovakia and be safe. Got them. He, he's called the, uh, the Schindler of Czechoslovakia and then the Schindler's List. And they did this television show back in, I think, in the late 80s. And he's an old man then. He lived to be over 100, so you can imagine how old he was then. But they did this television show, and the lady's kind of doing it. This is her life type moment. And people who bring peace get this type of reaction. He's in a crowd full of people, and he doesn't realize the people that are sitting around him are special. Play this clip. Yeah, there is sound. She's talking about going over all the letters and the videos, and, or excuse me, the, the list that he had. Right? Showing them the names, they're talking about it. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. She's one of the girls that's And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. their life to Nicholas Winton. If so, could you stand up, please? He did not realize he was sitting next, surrounded by adults who were kids that he saved their lives, who would have been exterminated by Hitler, and he brought them to England, they were adopted, and they had a chance to live. That's what peacemakers do. That's the type of honor and admiration a peacemaker gets. But people who hold on to bitterness and conflict, they usually die alone. They hold on to that bitterness and they take it to the grave. You've got a problem with another brother and sister in Christ. Leave and make a phone call. Go over and apologize to somebody. Find that person. And if you do your best and they still refuse, it's no longer your problem, is it? You did what God told you to do. Why don't you end it today? Blessed are the peacemakers. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just you, me, and Jesus for a moment. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? I must confess I went longer preaching today than I planned. But if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is there a person you're in conflict with? You can't talk to them, you can't look them in the eyes, you can't even be in the same room with them. 
And it's not because they're evil. It's not because of something they've done and you shouldn't be around them. No, you just don't like her. You just can't stand them. God doesn't hear your worship. He's not hearing your prayers. He doesn't want your gifts. You're not getting blessed today. Blessed are the peacemakers. Today, make a phone call. Write a letter. Just say, I, I wish we could end this. Go to someone, apologize to them, give them a hug and say, I, I'm sorry that this got out of hand. You say, well, what would they do? They might not return it back to me. You're not responsible for what they do. You're responsible for what you do. You leave today, as far as you're current concerned today, it's over for you. There is no more conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers. People stand up and love and applaud the peacemakers. But the people who bring conflict, they live a life of misery and bitterness. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that your word is true. And Lord, even two obscure verses that don't get mentioned often are still inspired and still part of your word. So Father, let them not return void today. Help each one of us to examine our hearts today and to take a full measure if there's a person, a believer in Jesus Christ who we're in conflict with. Father, just help us to have the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive and to move forward. You work in unity, not hatred. Help us, Lord, to end the conflict today. In Jesus' precious name. Would you stand with me? As Gary leads us in a song.